What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. My name is Charles Holmes, and welcome to a special crossover episode of the Ringer Music Show and Ringer Dish. This week at the best website on the planet, The Ringer, we're celebrating Emo Week in honor of the 20-year anniversary of My Chemical Romance's debut. And since it is the season for guy liner bangs and laughing at posers and hot topic, we'd like to introduce you to a very cursed concept that I made up uh, for this podcast called Battle of the Bands, where we're going to pit two of our favorite musicians against each other to decide which artist reigns supreme. On today's episode, Rob Harvilla, a.k.a. the killer of 60 songs that explain the 90s, will be defending My Chemical Romance while I'll be doing what, honestly, I've been waiting my entire life to do, to defend Fall Out Boy. Rob, can we walk the listeners through? When I came to you with this idea, I couldn't tell if you were intrigued or you're like, jeez, like, (laughs) (laughs) Charles, what? (laughs) As I recall, Charles, I was sitting on my couch watching a movie with my children because it was Friday night. You sprung this on me on Friday night, Eastern. I think that was a tactical move on your part. Very (laughs) shrewd. Uh, I ignored the Slack message for as long as I felt like I could get away with. It's like, I don't want to deal with this right now. But, you know, after a respectful interval, like 45 minutes, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. So I learned something very interesting before this pre-pod. Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. (laughs) So that means that that this was the band of your generation. This was whoa, whoa, yeah. Well, claim it, Rob. Claim it. 
claim it. Don't run. Don't run. He he's a late bloomer. He is Gerard Way is older than me, not by much, but he is older than me. Uh, he's a late bloomer, Charles. He 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 got into the game in his late twenties, which I think only adds to the, the the passion and the intensity, you know, and the meaning of the band that it's about claiming your legacy before it's too late. You know, and my legacy was to argue about him with you, and I accept that. Uh, but yeah, that's he's a late bloomer, Charles. So when I started listening to both of these bands, I think I was probably mm-hmm. at the perfect age, which was like late middle school into early <laughs> high school. So uh-huh. the angst uh, yeah. that both of these bands had, the uh, fashion, which uh, has not aged well, everything was just mm. the the malls had not died yet. Amazon hadn't like totally upended everything. So it was still a journey where you go to Hot Topic and Spencer's and all of this different stuff. So I have a fondness for this band where uh, probably my musical taste uh, in Mm. terms of like, just was not as refined. I was at that age where I'm just like, everything is new and awesome. Yes. (laughs) Being alive. Oh, yes. You, on the other hand, like you as an adult, <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like you had listened to music, you had taste, you, you, yeah, you were a sentient being in the world that was getting crushed by capitalism and mm-hmm. uh, a nine to five job. So, how did Fallout Boy and MCR <laughs> arrive on your doorstep as a music critic? I did. I they started, you know, both in like like 2003, 2004, 2005. I am a sentient adult with immaculate musical taste at that point. And I I'm conscious of the fact that it would be better if I were a teenager listening to this music. Like this music, it is ideal that you grow up with these bands. You know, that, yeah. that you start out as a kid where everything is beautiful and awesome or terrible, depending on your mood. But I, this is a band. These are bands, both of them, that ideally hit you when you're young, very young, when you're immature. No offense. I'm sure you were very mature in middle school, but you know Not what I all. mean. It's OK. <laughs> I, it's, it's just, you know, like these these guys, I believe, co-headlined the Warp Tour in 2005. Right. And I was like 27 in 2005. You know, like I would have been, I would have gotten arrested if I would have tried to attend the Warp Tour in 2005. I was already too old. I was already a square. You know, I do feel as a consequence of this that I, I, I love both these bands tremendously, but I do, I'm looking at them from somewhat of a remove just in that I was not a kid when I found them. I think these bands in particular, you know, pop, pop punk, emo, warp tour culture, whatever. It's this is designed for young people. You know, it is filtered down now to older people. You know, there's sort of a late pass effect with MCR in particular, I think, but it's just these are bands for teenagers in like the best possible way. And I'm just very conscious of the fact that I was not a teenager at the time that they first rose to power. Rob, can you guess the group? I went to Warp Tour once. Can you guess the group that I wanted to desperately see at Warp Tour? You'll never be able to guess. What year? What year? Oh, man. I don't know the year, but let's say Thrice. it's 303. <laughs> like that's what you waited until I took a sip of tea before you said that. That's that's very that's rude. 303. Is that there's an exclamation point in that, right? It's like There is an exclamation three, point. Oh, what are they? Are they crab core or is that something else? I have no idea. They have been on the show. I have no idea. They were just like, I was just like 303 okay. rocks. And okay. then uh, to show that I was a burgeoning like rap writer, uh, mm. the next artist I saw was Yellow Wolf on the side stage. Whoa, so. Yellow Wolf. Do you yeah, think so Yellow w- Wolf enjoyed himself at the Warp Tour? He was like, this is, uh, this, these are my people. 
He was playing like the smallest side stage. I'm sure he was. He was, you know, he was over by the porta potties, you know, like he had to serve waffle fries while he rapped. It was just, oh, don't do that. I'm sorry, Yellow Wolf. That's, that's rude of me. But before, (laughs) before we get into why everyone's here, it's emo week at the, at the ringer. I think the funny thing about emo week is at this point, I don't even know what emo stands for because like in Mm. researching fallout boy and my chemical romance, they themselves in like interviews that they're doing in, 2005, 2007, 2013, like, are already reckoning with not wanting to be emo, them coming from a hardcore scene. Now they're mm-hmm. softcore. Now they're this. Now they're that. Right. So it's very funny trying to do an emo week at the ringer because Fallout Boy, to me, is pop punk, but Pete Wentz was already kind of like, don't call me emo. So there was this backlash where I'm just like, yo, you're the biggest rock band on the planet right now, and we're still <laughs> arguing over kind of the labels that right. all seem to mesh. As someone who kind of saw emo even before it hit the mainstream. Do you, when do you think kind of that backlash or that curdling for emo started? I think the curdling was immediate, right? Like, is there an emo band in history that wants to be referred to as an emo band? Like, I feel like any subgenre with like a silly name, like part of (laughs) the whole point of it is that nobody wants to say that name or associate with it. But I think for emo, more than any other subgenre. It's like I part of being emo is rejecting the label emo, right? And that's been true from the beginning. It was true of Rights of Spring, certainly. You know, it was true in the mid 90s of whatever, like Sunny Day Real Estate, American Football, Promise Ring, all those bands. Like nobody was like, we're an emo band. Well, this is second wave emo right here. Like, get ready. <laughs> like they they did not want anything to do with it. And I that's certainly true as well for my chemical romance, at least. Like they just they hated it. You know, and and they they wrote really excellent songs actually about like trying to avoid that stereotype, that stigma, right? But as you say, like they're they're intertwined with malls, with Hot Topic, you know, with the Warp Tour, you know, with Twilight, you know, if you go late enough, it's just all this subcultural stuff that swirled around them. You know, it's unavoidable that they're going to be emo, but their point within that circle is to like try and fight their way out of it. Well, we're not fighting our way out of that. We're delving deep into the emo world, guys. It's time to get to the Battle of the Bands. Let me explain the rules for y'all a little bit. Rob and I will both have five minutes up top to give opening statements on our respective bands. You don't need to use all five minutes, but (laughs) if you need to, I might need to. Then we have five rounds. Round one, we'll pit each bandmate against the other. Round two, we're diving deep into the lyrics. Round three, we're counting down each band's three best songs. Round Mm. four is best album versus best album. And round five, we'll discuss the impact and influence of each group. Rob, as the preeminent music critic, (laughs) scholar, honestly, love of my ringer life, Mm. you get to have the first opening statement. That's very kind. Also, before we go, Go we will have a a judge. All right. Mm. We will have a judge, Justin Sales, producer of the Ringer Music Show, editor extraordinaire at the Ringer, and uh, the person that has been tasked with uh, honestly wrangling the cats that Rob and I are on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. you, Justin, you will be giving us who the winner is after each round. Is that correct, Justin? I have been waiting to have to choose one of you publicly for the <laughs> longest time. So, yes, I th- this is correct, and I'm ready to do this. Sophie's you choice. look great I'm, today, I'm, Justin, by the way. Just your skin is glowing. It's just, it is glowing. You, you got to ha- drop the, the routine. I haven't, I haven't 
been sleeping. I've been working on emo, emo on week emo, stuff. Yeah. yeah, so that that's what it is. Emo week is my fault, Charles. I, we won't get into it, but the, the entire thing is happening because of me, and that that bias is going to work against me here, absolutely, and I deserve it, quite frankly. I, I'm All right. Well, I with that here. being said, opening statements. I see the floor to you is this is there like a countdown clock i five minutes is a long time you don't need to use all five okay i'm just saying you yeah my chemical romance i think are the best and most important rock band of the past 20 years of the 21st century uh and i think that's because they weren't embarrassed to be a rock band you know every any other rock band that you can put in that competition, I think was a little bit leery of, of being a rock and roll band of like playing arenas of like doing the whole thing. Right. But what's important about my chemical romance is they embraced it all. Like they were the best and they were the most rock band of the past 20 years. Like rock bands need to look ridiculous, right. And dress ridiculously, you know, and, and, and inspire ridiculous fashion trends. And like, you need to read the internet equivalent of like a 400 page fantasy novel to understand the backstory behind each new album from a rock band. Like the video has got to be nuts. Like there's got to be lots of fire and lots of like dudes screaming and like slamming guitars and so forth. I, the merch has got to be nuts. If you're not trying to out Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody, like why bother? (laughs) Like, why are you doing it at all? Like, I, I, I dig Fallout Boy a lot, but I, there's a fundamental sort of coy remove for them. Like, it's just Fallout Boy to me is just like I'm going to bury my ex girlfriend beneath a mountain of '80s movies references, like cutesiness to them. Like, I just I have no emotional connection to Fallout Boy. Like, they're so clever. You know, and all the song titles are like novel length themselves. And like, I, I love clever, you know, I've dedicated my life to clever <laughs> pretty much, but I just, I cannot, there's just a, a remove that fallout boy, I think holds you at, even as they are like an extremely great and extremely successful arena bands. Like I, there's just an emotional core and a fundamental proud ridiculousness to my chemical romance that I don't think any band of the last 20 years has come close to. But I I think that's what rock and roll, you know, scare quotes, whatever is supposed to be. It's supposed to be absurdity and grandiosity. And I don't think anybody else has come close to them. What was that? It was like eight minutes. I, that was like 30 seconds. I that's, that's it. Is this adversarial Charles? Like, am I supposed to be mad at you? Like, I will be mad at you if you want me to be mad at no, you. No, like, here's I'm the thing. What's, what's the, the thing. tone it's, here? I can't help you. Uh, the courtroom is already in session. I can't help you. you There's, uh, is this a courtroom? Okay. This is a courtroom. All right. Okay. Uh, so, so you're out the, of order right now. Talk. You are out of order. What? Justin, I'm, this is my time, Charles. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, you haven't seated the floor yet. My bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm seating the floor. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen of the court. <laughs> The illustrious judge, Mr. Sales. I'm so happy to be here today. Over 20 years ago, four Midwestern lads embarked on a journey. They had been forged in the hardcore scenes of their youth. Separately, they were strong, but power eluded them. It wasn't until they came together under the banner of a Simpsons reference that true magic and alchemy emerged. Their name was Fallout Boy. The music they created was raw, breathtaking, and genre-defining. 
Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, what I'm here to prove today is that my clients were wrongfully blind in their time. My esteemed adversary across the courtroom will regale you with the accomplishments of my client's contemporaries, My Chemical Romance, a truly wonderful band in their own right that are part of a rock lineage, the type that white rock critics are all too fine of immortalizing in the canon. Okay, fucking How, uh, objection. Well, uh, yeah, go well, ahead. No objection during my opening statements. Sorry. You can't object during an over opening statement. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Withdrawn. However... I'm here to argue that what Fall Out Boy set out to accomplish was far more radical and ambitious. What Sean Carter, a.k.a. Hope, a.k.a. Jigga, a.k.a. Jay-Z claimed was, quote, a movement. Yes, that Jay-Z said that Fall Out Boy themselves was a movement. At the dawn of the social media age, Pete, Patrick, Joe, and Andy envision a world unencumbered by the social, racial, and political restraints of genre. Their music pulled from soul, R&B, and hip-hop. They not only worked with legendary producer Babyface, but they also sang his praises. Led by Black bandmate Mr. Wentz, Fall Out Boy's success is a political act in and of itself. The type that traditional rock media tried with all of their might to squash and undermine. And yet two decades later, as rock's relevance slides off a cliff, who is it holding the torch for the once great genre? In their 40s, Fall Out Boy has never given up on a genre that tried with all of its might to give up on them. And I don't know what y'all think. That's what heroes are made of. The first Fall Out Boy through the wall is destined to get bloody. But today in this courtroom, I will ensure that that blood that was spilled was not in vain. Thank you all for your time. I see the floor. Who was your model for that? Was it like Matthew McConaughey in uh, A Time to Kill? Objection, objection. Uh, you your Honor, can we please get to round one? All right, he is badgering me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Withdrawn. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's. That, wow. I, I am not going to assess anything on the merits of those opening statements. However, that may have been the best thing I've ever heard on a podcast, Charles. <laughs> That yeah, was the, the, the court is very appreciative of what you did there. I, I appreciate it as Thank well. Thank you, Your I, Honor. I'm humbled so, in your presence. So for round one, we are going through <laughs> bandmates first, bandmates. All right. Mr. Harvilla, you can yeah. go first. The first up is lead singers. Then we're going to go to guitarists, then bassists, and then drummers. Can you please mm. tell us about uh, the esteemed Gerard Way? I would, I, Patrick Stump is a great singer. Uh, I think Gerard Way is like a world historical frontman, right? He's it's uh, the rock and roll frontman is supposed to be like a cartoon character, a comic book character, like an anime character, like a supervillain. You know, again, you're supposed to look ridiculous. You're supposed to dress ridiculous and inspire other people to dress ridiculously. You know, it's it's a question of lore. It's a question of backstory. It's a question of character of, of each new album being like its own extended universe. Like he just cares about this shit so much. And so much of, of pop punk and emo, especially, but just rock and roll in general is just devoted to 
performing how much you don't care and how you don't mean what you're saying. I love Fallout Boy, but it's like there are two like scare quotes installed on either side of the stage while Fallout Boy is performing, right? Like it's just there's just a remove to it that you don't get from Gerard Way, who's got like weird makeup on and like he's either shaved his head or his head hair is bright pink or whatever. And he's just screaming in your face. You know, he's got Liza Minnelli over there crying on the track. Like he's just he means it man and he is trying he is aspiring to the greatness of like whatever like david bowie or whatever freddie mercury just it's sacrilege to even say those people but like sacrilege is a crucial part of the rock and roll experience as well like you're trying to crack that pantheon you are aspiring to that level of ridiculousness and colossalness and i just i patrick stump is a fantastic singer Right. But I, the, the fact that he does not write his lyrics, you know, I, there's, there's something very strange. There's plenty of frontmen who don't necessarily write the lyrics to their song and it's fine, but there's the, the perspective of a fallout boy song and like the authorial voice of Pete Wentz is so specific that like, there's a weird ventriloquism that happens with Patrick singing his words, right? Like that they're, they're so clever and they're so distinct and they're so him. They're so Pete Wentz that it sounds strange coming out of somebody else's mouth. Even somebody who's singing as well as Patrick and sing. like, there's just a strange remove even within that. I just Gerard way. Like you just, you don't understand what he's saying or what he's going for, but you believe that he believes it. And that's enough. Well said. Here's the thing about Patrick Stump. He shouldn't have been successful. Even in his time, people laughed at him, made fun of him. He's not someone that you would normally expect to be a front man. He was a little heavier set, a little bit dorkier. Everybody's looking at him. But when he opens that voice, whoo! Angels, doves start flying. Okay? I want to read you a quote that one of his bandmates said. Mr. Wentz. He's got this wide, big, soulful voice that I don't think you hear much in this type of music, which is usually more nasal. He's not afraid of his vocal range. He sings as if it comes out through his diaphragm, not through his nose. What I like about that is that what Fall Out Boy actually starts to do at the dawn of the social media age is they start blurring genres where it's like Mm. Patrick Stump easily could have been Ed Sheeran. He could have if he wanted to. He's just not. He has that type of voice. He has that texture. He can work with his voice in a way that Gerard Way obviously can't. This is not called best frontman because you argued who's the best frontman. This was called lead singers. Hmm. So if we're talking about a singer, someone who's not afraid to work with Babyface himself, hmm. Corey, I would like to tell y'all, Mr. Jay-Z almost had Patrick Stump on Blueprint 3. That's how much he believed in him. Now, I can't say if that song would have been good, but that speaks to the level. You know who else has been on Jay-Z songs? Beyonce. So when you think of greatly singers, think of Beyonce, then think of Patrick Stump, okay? He is an illustrious, illustrious singer with, oh my gosh. And here's the thing. Gerard Way, you can't take anything away from him. But let's be real. What he was doing was a little bit of cosplay. What Patrick Stump was doing was something radical. All right? Anybody can dress up as their favorite rock stars for Halloween. But hey, come on. If I wanted to listen to Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club, I'll just listen to that. Thank you very much, Mr. Mm. Way. All right? 
I will leave y'all with this. As a little black boy growing up in Jersey, hearing the soul that Patrick Stump sang with, hearing how much he regarded black music, opened my eyes to punk. A genre, a scene that was flourishing where I came from, was removed. Everybody wanted to stop me. They're like, who are you to join this club? And listening to Patrick with his soul, I felt like I was part of a club. And that's something that you can't take away from me or thousands of listeners. Gerard Way, what did he do? He sold a comic book to Netflix. <laughs> Not the same. It's like three seasons. <laughs> it's impressive. Maybe four. So why don't we go on to guitarist next? Rob, you can have one. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. So it's this. <laughs> you know who is on the Blueprint 3? Mr. Hudson. I just, I just, I just want to point that out. Okay, I got Ray Toro. Then I Ray Toro is a very striking visual presence in in my Chemical Romance press photos. I I think it's true of both of these bands that these are not guys who you ordinarily think of as rock stars. You know, they're just they're just real people. They're real characters. It's like a bunch of character actors who became you know rock stars. And I Ray Toro, I think guitar wise, it's the same. There's a Freddie Mercury, Brian May thing happening here where if you're not trying to out Brian May, Brian May, like why bother being a rock and roll guitarist? Ray Toro can do like gutter punk, like actual quote unquote punk. He can do pop punk. He can do deranged rockabilly. He can do hair metal. He can do like dragon riding power metal. I, he just he's got a lot of range. And he's got a lot of flamboyance, which is not something I think a lot of rock guitarists have now. They're supposed to be muted. Your solos are supposed to be sort of tamped down. Like you're again, there's a grandiosity to him that I don't I don't think you see in a lot of even warp tour music. I, I just the range that he has, the look that he has, the intensity that he has, and the chemistry that he has with Gerard, I think is irreplaceable. Fantastic. I'm going to defend my man, Joe, mm. lead guitarist, cutie of all cuties in the band. All right. Have you ever seen him? Oh, girls. Don't worry. I'll give you his number after uh, I win this debate. Anyway, mm. have y'all listened to some songs, a little less 16 Candles, Seven Minutes in Heaven, The Takeover, The Breaks Over? Come on. My man's guitars are as catchy as Fall Out Boy's hooks. They dive deep into your soul. You could go to the 4040 Club, start tapping away if you see any of these guitar solos. You're like, damn, who is Mr. Joe on this? And I'm not saying that he's the most famous member of Fall Out Boy, but what I will argue is that for a band that is so obsessed with grandiosity of their choruses, of their lead singer's voice, of the lyrics, Joe has the unenviable task of just doing enough but not doing too much, all right? And that's something that we really, really, really don't defend in rock music, okay? My man never detracts from the songs. In fact, he elevates it. And that's what we need sometimes. You see it in the NBA all the time. Everybody wants to be an all-star. But we need role players. Role players win championships, all right? And right now, Joe is that guy. He's the Draymond. He's the glue. So what I will argue is that 
do we need bombast from all of these people in the band? No. What we need someone with heart. The heart. Take a little bit back to not show everything he has, but show enough. So when you go to that Fallout Boy show, you leave being like, Joe, you can have my babies, but you already have my heart. Let's go to the basis. I saw Fallout Boy Live in 2015, I think, uh, with Liz, Wiz Khalifa. And all I remember is just Joe spinning. Joe spins a lot. It's it's a, it's a really effective move, but he just he does the thing. Whoop, they're very. Let's just spin. say they're they're very athletic. I was watching their they videos. Are. They're very athletic. A lot, of, a lot of cardio. A lot of cardio happening up there. Yeah. Would you like to defend uh, your client, Mikey Way? Now, um, Mikey Way is not responsible for bringing panic at the disco into the world, and I think I think there's really something. Objection, Your Honor. This is a tough one. Objection, right? Your Honor. <laughs> Panic at the Disco is not on trial here. <laughs> Fallout Boy is. So I would like that stricken from the record. I, sustained. Yeah. Sustained. Wow. Yeah. I'm being conspired against. <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, what NBA role player is Mikey Way? <laughs> like, you already took Draymond. Anderson Varejao. <laughs> That's what he's like. It's like he's, just, he's, a, he's a glue guy. He's a rebound guy. He's an energy guy. He's a brown bagger. You know, he's not the focal point, but he's solid. And he is not responsible for bringing panic at the disco into the world. I think that's the Mikey Way CV. Oh, our next battle bands will be about panic at the disco. Also, yeah. a very good band for two albums, and then it went off yeah. the rails. A- am I allowed to go now? Yeah, sure. Ooh, this is what y'all been waiting for in this basis category. I'd like to talk to you about a Mr. Pete Wentz. Could y'all tell me any other basis that could light up the hearts of a nation with his dick pics being leaked? Oh, man, it was the greatest of times, all right? Can you name me another basis who, upon receiving a Rockefeller chain, requested that it be given to him in a lady size because he said the regular men's size looked too weird on him, okay? He has a Rockefeller chain, people. His bandmate, Patrick Stump, says, quote, it scares me sometimes watching him. The two seconds you're not with that dude, he's made 30 decisions that are going to affect us for the rest of the year. What people forget about Pete Wentz is that my man was in the mud in Chicago, okay? He was in band after a band. Local celebrity, all right? You might think, Pete Wentz, he already has one of the greatest band names of all time, Fall Out Boy. But my dude had another band called Race Trader, okay? One of the greatest <laughs> names of all time, all right? Just deep in the mud, singing about how the honkies are trying to keep him down, okay? Pete Wentz goes far and above what any other bassist can. Because not only is he holding it down, licking that sweet face, all right? He's penning some of the most beautiful lyrics of all time. Mikey Way? I don't know this man. He could be walking in Trader Joe's and I wouldn't even know him. Pete Wentz? Dog, I'll push my girlfriend over and be like, get out of the way. Pete Wentz is here, okay? Pete Wentz is one of the most, one of the most important rock figures of all time. Not only because he played bass in one of the best rock groups of all time because his lyrics separate him from the pack as well. When you put that in conjunction with the charm that he shows on stage, come on. 
come on, Mikey Way? We're, we're comparing him to a glue guy? A glue guy that gets shipped off in a package ASAP? Come on, Pete Wentz. Woo! Man, I, I have a lot to say about Mr. Pete, so I won't. I, I'm, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but hey, let's just say this. No one was uh, knocking down their door to try to, to get some Mikey White dick pics, all right, in the early 2000s. So I think we all know who wins this round. Anyway, let's go to the drummers where, uh, damn, it's looking like here, uh, Mr. Harvilla. You don't even know which drummer to pick. We got, you go off. Go off. We, got, we got a little bit of a spinal tap situation here. I don't I don't think that the drummer in the current reunion tour is even like a canonical member of the band. It's this dude, Jared Alexander, who's like drummed with them before, but it's one of those things where he's not an official member. It's like Heim Oof. or whatever, right? Like yeah. it's yeah, we're we got a little bit of a rotating pie display of, of drummers here. So I, you know, I, 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 we may have to, I may have to just seed this one just because Fallout Boy has managed to keep the same guy. You know, they, they've kept the core together, which is very, very impressive. Hey, the Golden State Warriors years. of rock and roll. There we go. What member Andy, of the Golden? Go ahead. Go ahead. Have, you've seen the four part? Andy Hurley. It's time to defend our favorite vegan, anarcho primitivist, CrossFit training drummer. When you think of workman musicians, I don't think there's anyone who fits the bill better than Hurley. He was drumming for Race Trader, Kill the Slave Master, Project Rocket. All, the list goes on and on. The Kill Bill. Bill. Oh, this is someone who we need to celebrate more in rock and roll. The lifer. He was born with drumsticks in his hand and he will die with drumsticks in his hands. Okay? My shy little boy, Andy, has the talent enough talent to move mountains. Dance Dance isn't Hurley's best drumming, but I do think it demonstrates how great of a chameleon he is. Someone who was birthed in the hardcore scene, taking that raw, magnetic, forceful energy and putting it in such a pristine pop package, not selling out, but showing the world, hey, this is, this is a little taste to wet your whistle, all right? This is a little bit of a Gatorade, a drop of Gatorade in the desert that's called current music. If y'all want, if y'all want the rest of this juice, if y'all want to go to the bodega and get y'all some, some quarter waters, you come over here. And that's what I think is so, so special about Andy Hurley. Because it's not just things he's doing in Fall Out Boy. It's the fact that as rock is dying a slow and agonizing death, he shows us the heart and the dedication that it takes to really be about this life. And with that, I see the floor. Charles, you really need to be wearing like a suit. <laughs> you know, I just, we got to complete the lawyer look here. You're, you're really going for it here. And I just, I want the total package. I need Thank like you, stirring string, string music playing behind you. Like let's, if we're going to do this, let's really do this. We're going to get drinks after this, Mr. Harvilla. But for now, absolutely. It's you're my yeah, enemy. It's, after, it's afternoon. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Judge Sales, uh, would you weigh in with who won round one? <sighs> Mr. Harvilla. <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought you made a very convincing argument on Singer. And I was inclined to lean your direction because I found your opening argument very persuasive, despite Mr. Holmes's flair 
theatrics. for the dramatic. Yeah, his <laughs> theatrics, his right. the way he addressed the court, which we appreciate, <laughs> but it felt a little dressed up compared to the substance that you were offering. And I think you clearly won this argument on singer, possibly on guitar. The issue here is you just seated bassist and drummer right out the gate. And I I understand, like, how are you going to go against Pete Wentz in this? Uh, I understand. Like, you just, I understand. Like, you got to... You gotta prep, right? You like you you gotta you gotta know where to pick your spots. Right. But the court was not impressed with the way that you let Mr. Holmes just walk all over you in those last two. I'm, I'm just categories. trying to be polite. I'm I'm a Midwestern, yeah. But okay. This is not Midwestern emo. This is third Fair wave enough. emo. Th- th- this is yes, third wave. Th- thank you for clarifying. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. By a hair, the court is going with Mr. Holmes for round I, one. I get it. Thank you so much. Your Honor, I really, truly appreciate that. Let me say, have you been hitting the gym lately? Your arms are looking quite ripped. I have to say that when you when you, you started talking about the drummer, I, my, my heart kind of pitter-pattered a little. <laughs> the, the, the vegan CrossFitter. It was. You know. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> he knows his audience. Charles bias, knows his audience. Yeah. Yes. All right. So for lyrics, Your Honor, uh, should I go first or yeah. should Mr. Harvilla? <laughs> Why don't Mr. You Harville start? would like you, yeah. Mr. Harville would like you, like you right. to go first. Round two lyrics. Pete Wentz is what happens if Nas got really, really obsessed with John Hughes movies. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds amazing. And boy, howdy, is it? Everything about Fallout Boy lyrics shouldn't work. They're often written as these diaristic screeds packed with pop culture references and self-deprecation in a genre built on ego and self-seriousness, though. Wentz's lyrics are deceptively brilliant because they never feel the need to point to their own complexity. In a lot of ways, Fall Out Boy is a lyrical precursor to what would end up unfolding on the charts decades later from some unknown artists like Lil Uzi Vert or Juice World. But the song that I want to talk to you about today is called This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race. Now, I don't know about... Uh, their contemporaries over there, My Chemical Romance, but can you name another rock band that could get such illustrious guests on a remix as Kanye West, Lil Wayne, a Paul Wall, the people's champs? All right. And you want to know, everybody's like, what the hell are our Fall Out Boy songs about? And I would like to uh, present the court with two points of evidence that should really wrap up this case that Pete Wentz is one of the best lyricists of all time. Quote, this comes from of Mr. West. Now, I don't know what the hell this song is talking about. Do you? She said, yeah, I've been spending all day trying to figure that out. Me too. Great lyric. He himself is just like, damn, Pete Wentz is a lyricist of such high renown up there with your MF Dooms, your Lupe Fiascos, that trying to understand his lyrics are almost impossible. But then in the same song, Lil Wayne, during his best rapper alive stretch, rapped, I'm your arms dealer. I'm more like an arm dealer. Literally, really, I don't get this song neither, but I'm going to figure it out like a palm reader. Now, Lil Wayne, one of the best lyricists of all time, himself saying, guys, the lyrics in this song are so beautiful that me, myself, as the best rapper alive cannot wrap my head around it unless I go get a master's degree. Now, that 
is the stuff of legend. But let's get into this in a scene, it's an arms race, and why it is such an amazing lyrical tour de force. We usually associate subliminal records with hip-hop, but this ain't a scene is peak Drake before Drake. There's this fatalism about the fact that Fall Out Boy are the pop-punk kids that make good, and suddenly an entire subculture turns against them. Now, these are kids from the Midwest, in bands after bands after bands, that now, because of their success, are being picked apart. So what do they do for the lead single off of their sophomore album? Not only do they make a song about it, they name it, This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race. Quote saying lyrics like, and don't really care which side wins, long as the room keeps singing, that's just the business I'm in. I love that. Because so often, we have this crabs in a barrel mentality. Back when rock was still obsessed with things such as authenticity and selling out, what they did not realize Fall Out Boy was doing was charting a path forward, a path in music that was less obsessed with clear delineations of genre. This ain't a scene, it's an arms race, is a rallying cry saying, we're going to keep charting a path forward, no matter if our colleagues think that it is the right path. And that, to me, shows you how impactful their lyrics are. I, for one, love the way Pete Wentz builds his songs because his lyrics, not only are they so dense, but they're also so beautiful. I would like to, to list them out for you. Uh, and can I please get Mr. Harvilla to approach uh, and sit for me right now? Mm-hmm. Can you just tell me if these, what you feel when you listen to some of these lyrics? Okay. I'm just a notch in your bedpost, but you're just a line in a song. I feel, I feel mild amusement. Mild. Mild. Listeners, he is smiling from cheek to cheek. Okay. All right. Let me, let's do. They say your one. head Try can be a one. prison. Mm. Then these are just conjugal visits. Now, I don't know about uh, you, but that's a bar. That's, that's a bar. All right. Or the best way to make it through with hearts and rest intact is to realize two out of three ain't bad. Mm, Guys. A meatloaf. That is speaking my language. Here's the thing. And I'll wrap this up. Please. What Pete Wentz was able to do with his lyrics at that time, I will always make the argument, is what happens when someone who is in a scene that is so suffocating sticks to his guns and realizes music is going in a way where we can appreciate the breadth of it. We're doing a black art form already. Let's take it all in. And what I love about Pete Wentz and what I love about his lyrics is that you know that they're Fall Out Boy lyrics. If I printed out a sheet of my Chemical Romance song, <laughs> you wouldn't know who wrote that shit. You'd be like, oh, yeah, it sounds like something like, you know, one of those Hot Topic bands would. I could print out any Fall Out Boy lyric and you're like, oh, only Pete Wentz could write this. And I don't think you can say that for My Chemical Romance. I see the floor. Wowza. That was intense, Charles. Uh, okay. Well, Charles, the thing about teenagers is that they scare the living shit out of me. <laughs> you know? I think this is kind of intense, but I even today here in 2022, we're still dealing with like rock music, you know, teenage culture as, is like a, a, a 
a malevolent force in society, right? Like it's to blame, you know, for school shootings, you know, Correct. for 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 antidepressants, you know, it's we're in a really ugly culture war spot right now that reminds me of like those battles in the 90s. It reminds me about post-Columbine, honestly, you know, when 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 Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, when they were just blamed for something that was clearly not their fault, you know, and they were being blamed as is the disease when they were symptoms of the disease. And I think that's what's wonderful about my chemical romance and about black, the black parade in particular is that I think they articulated both through humor and through like just malevolence of their own, just what it's like, what it feels like to be a teenager and what it likes feels like to be a teenager who has adults looking at you as though you're the enemy. And I think that every punk band that gets to this level, that gets to an arena level, like wants to unite everybody and like present their fans as an army, right? And sort of rally everybody to their cause and present it in those sort of military terms. But I think that My Chemical Romance succeeded in doing that. And I think there's there's obviously a comic book sort of tomfoolery to everything they did, but there also is a genuine Objection. tenderness. Whoa. Objection. As the host of the Midnight Boys Pew Pew, mm. I do not appreciate the phrase <laughs> comic book tomfoolery. Is the, is the Pew Pew part of the title? Justin, go ahead. Yes. Go, yeah, let's let's get a ruling on this. Overrule. You're not going to win a comic book <laughs> argument with me. You're not going to win a comic book <laughs> argument with me, okay? Overruled. I think my song is Teenagers, right off Black Parade. And I this this is a very, very funny song. And it's sort of a ridiculous... It sounds like Ugly Kid Joe... If you are even old enough to remember uh, Ugly Kid Joel from the 90s, like it's just it's a ridiculous like quasi blues song that comes off like a joke that comes off like a throwaway. But I just it, reading the lyrics to the song and just sort of thinking about the culture war position that we're in right now, just a chorus of I think that the key to this chorus is the words they said. I had always read this song as Mikey. I, I, I've always read this song as Gerard, like on a subway or whatever. And he's already in his twenties or thirties at this point, And he's scared of teenagers, but I didn't realize that the key to this chorus is the words they said, they said, teenagers scared. Like he's talking about the way society looks down on teenagers now and demonizes them as the enemy and blames them for their own problems. PSA you know, prob music. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of Jay-Z circa the Blueprint 3 sort of vibe there. And I just, this song is a rallying cry for teenagers and for misunderstood, for outcast teenagers. And it's showing teenagers how they're looked at by adults and fighting back against that. You know, for all the silliness of the My Chemical Romance approach, you know, they imagine themselves as like post-apocalyptic, you know, warlords fighting an evil corporation. You know, it's just for all the pomp and circumstance that surrounds like the setup, like the comic book tomfoolery of a My Chemical Romance record. There is a fundamental message there and it is us versus them. But I think that My Chemical Romance make a very convincing case for the us. Again, I think every rock band tries to do this. Every rock band tries to raise an army and, and raise a fan base that can convincingly describe themselves as an army. But I think the MC Army does it, right? Because I think that they this is sort of a Trojan horse. This song, Teenagers, it's just it, it feels like they're just fucking around. And it feels like but but what he's really doing is sort of showing, you know, how misunderstood, how downtrodden 
teenagers are now, especially now. And it's it, as a rallying cry, I think it's just so effective. Your Honor, Mr. Harvilla, as you know, we are closer in age than I am to Mr. Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the court is doing their best not to let that bias influence their decision on this category and your what I thought would be very persuasive argument. What I I would like at this point for Mr. Holmes to read something back from his argument. Could you could mm. you restate the conjugal visit line? <laughs> <laughs> I could do one better. I could do one better. <clears throat> oh. They say your head can be a prison. And these are just conjugal visits. Woo! That was fantastic. That was amazing. And you are you are topping yourself. However, based on that line alone, I have to go with Mr. Harville. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. What, you, Bullshit. I, will hold, I will hold you in contempt. I will hold you in contempt. Kaya McMullen, our producer, is also asking acting as bailiff. So wow. she will escort not, you right out of here. Do not cross. Do not. Wow. Okay. That's tough. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Mr. Harvilla, we're now at the best songs category. 
As uh, it seems you've already paid off the court, you can go first. <laughs> what does it matter? Are we going? We're going three to one. Would be most logical here. So I'm doing it. It's all- it's in whatever it's what in okay, whatever uh, order you would like. Okay, I'm going to go three to one here. Number three is Vampire Money, which is the last song off what is for now, what I think hopefully remains, quite frankly, the last full My Chemical Romance record, Danger Days, which I think is the best MCR album. I don't want to get into that right now. Uh, But Vampire Money is a song, is a very angry, like classic, quote unquote, punk song about how mad they are at bands that are appearing on Twilight soundtracks. I think that a subtext of My Chemical Romance from the beginning is the way that they were immediately co-opted, right? Co-opted by Hot Topic, co-opted by the Warp Tour, just co-opted by the subculture that sort of swirled around all of this. You know, the eyeliner, the dyed hair, like they sort of knew, like cosplay is a fair way to describe what they do a lot of the time within like their album rollouts or whatever. But it was such a distinctive look that it was immediately copied by corporate America. And as a consequence, every My Chemical Romance record has this subtext part of the us versus them part of the them is capitalism right as i think you said for fallout boy like it's that they're constantly fighting for their own integrity and to not be co-opted and to not be turned into themselves a halloween costume they're wearing halloween costumes but you cannot make a halloween costume out of their halloween costume and i think just vampire money is the perfect way to wrap all this up because twilight is in you know eyeliner is back in you know glittering vampires in the daytime are in i just you know the, the marvel cinematic universe has started you know suddenly comic book movies are in superheroes are in all the shit that they were into my chemical romance was into 20 years ago that wasn't cool is now suddenly cool is now suddenly mass monoculture and so they have to fight you know to protect their ground and vampire money is just a very funny and very mean song about how they they, they, want, they don't want to be on a Twilight soundtrack. You know, they, they, they don't, vampires should not be in romance movies. I just, they're, they're just, they're, this is their final battle against the idea of mall goth, you know, which is something they fought against from the beginning, something they created, but something they had to work to destroy. And I just, it, it's the perfect end, end cap to My Chemical Romance's career on record. I hope is just that song is just the, the defiance and the fury and the humor in that song. So that's my number three. Number two, I think is I'm not okay. I promise parentheses. I promise, which I, if there's one song from one band that I wish I could hear as an actual teenager, like live at the warp tour in real time, I think it's this song. I just, the, the, ex, the ecstatic rush of this song. And I think a wonderful thing about My Chemical Romance, an underrated thing about them, is that they they did not load up on like angry, clever songs about how much they hated their ex-girlfriends, right? Like they don't really, because of the comic book overlay and because of the world building that Gerard does, the lore behind every record, like they avoid this thing of every song just being a barely veiled attack, you know, on Molly or whatever from biology in, in the 10th grade. Like it's the, they don't have that classic emo problem of just writing angry songs about their ex-girlfriends 
until the end of time. And so I'm not okay as sort of as close as they get to that. Like it's a very angry sort of anti-romance song, but it's it's delivered as like a slapstick action movie. Like it's so over the top that I think it transcends like the the uncomfortable sort of misogyny that you get with a lot of emo. I just, it's so theatrical. It's so ridiculous. It's so grandiose that I think it mocks that while also exemplifying it. And number one, I think is welcome to the black parade, you know, pretty again, as I say, like if you're not, if you're a rock band and you're not trying to out Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody, if you're not trying to out the wall, the wall, I, it's just, you need to do that. You need that level of ambition and absurdity and audacity. And this is just a ridiculous, colossal song that works because it's ridiculous. Like my buddy Garrett is like, you need, you just, you, you need to sit down and hear this song. This is fucking ridiculous. This guitar solo is fucking ridiculous. I can't believe this song exists. That's what rock and roll is supposed to be. That's the energy I need in my life. Charles, I need cringe on a scale so colossal that it becomes swag. I understand. Right? I understand. And that's what Welcome to the Black Parade is for me. So, what a wonderful argument made by uh by Mr. Harvilla. Thank you. But you know what is um what I would say a little easier to listen to than 30 and 40 year olds yelling at teenagers. <laughs> The hypocrisy after the other song in his list. The hypocrisy of yelling at teenagers for enjoying some Twilight is a band that's not too big to poke fun at themselves. I think you will see in the three songs that I am about to regale you with, a band that not only knows how to make hits that can fill arenas, but can make songs that are welcoming, open arms, like hugs. Take Grand Theft Autumn, Where's Your Boy? Released in 2003, the biggest single of FOB's debut, Take This to Your Grave. It's where it all started. How can you hate a chorus like, Where is your boy tonight? I hope he's a gentleman. Maybe he won't find out what I know. You were the last good thing about this part of town. Bar. Bar. Something that Rakim himself could not write. Grand Theft Autumn, Where's Your Boy? is just... Quite literally, a sublime piece of pop punk writing. It shows you that this band in time, they're not a fully formed product. No, 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 they are not. But they're reaching for something that is far bigger than themselves. Every line of the second verse is a heater. Someday I'll appreciate and value. Get off my ass and call you. The meantime, I'll sport my brand new fashion. Waking up with pants on at four in the afternoon. Same, Pete. Exact same. Here's the thing. Fallout Boy is too good to be looking down at Twilight Money. All right? No. What they're going to say is, hey, fuck the patriarchy, actually. We're the problem. You know where they say that uh, the best? A little song called Sugar, We're Going Down. Because what that song, they're talking about a God complex. These boys from Chicago. Everybody's looking at them like, damn, y'all sold out. Damn, y'all sold out. And they're like, hey, we, we get it. We the ones with the God complex. Cock and pull it. All right? I love how meta this song is. They know for a fact what everyone's saying. But they're not, they're not too good to be laughing at themselves. And the thing that I, I think that is really breaking my heart in this courtroom today 
is that we hold up My Chemical Romance as this great band because they knelt down on their knees. They buckled to popular opinion. They went the classic rock route. And that's cool. And that's fine. But maybe if some other bands didn't buckle, rock would be in a better place. And Fall Out Boy wouldn't still be selling out arenas with little bands that you might know, Rob, called Green Day or Weezer. All right? So what I am here to say about some of the greatest Fall Out Boy songs of all time is that they are making songs that are so infectious and so good that they almost single-handedly saved the entire genre. But I saved the best one for last. Dance Dance. Come on. Rob. (laughs) Tell me you've never done a two-step to dance dance. Not really much of a dancer, Charles. I'm sure that will shock you. I know that's I a apologize. lie. I know that's a lie. Okay. Dance dance, and these are the lives you love to lead. Woo! Name me another band that literally is not embarrassed to be who they are. This music video has all of the band poking fun at themselves. Pete Wentz is doing a whole breakdown dance number in the middle of this. When we talk... Here's the thing. Mr. Harvilla is constantly going back to the, to, the, to the well of, oh, My Chemical Romance was an embarrassed to be a rock band. If anyone was an embarrassed to be a rock band, it is Fall Out Boy because every single one of their videos is them saying, hey, we're going to be cheesy. We're going to be big. We want to rock your socks off, okay? They are actually way more in line with the lineage of a Beatles or Queen or any of the, a Pink Floyd than MCR ever could be because they know that the real thing about music, the real thing about rock and roll is that you need to be yourself. Their own, co- like the own people in the scene heard Dance Dance and was like, what is this band doing? What have they lost their fucking mind? What is this? What is more rock and roll than making a song that is so catchy and so pop and so good? Everybody else you grew up with is like, what are these motherfuckers on? And that's a little song called Dance Dance. I, I, I'm about to see the floor, but what I will say about the songs that I've picked right now is they've stood the test of time. I can go to any club in New York, put on Dance Dance, and it's going to rock. If I put on the Black Parade, they'll be like, yo, get your black ass out of here. My songs stand the test of time. And MCR, I don't know. I don't know if those do. They're busy, too busy yelling at Twilight teenagers, and I see the floor. The court is going with Mr. Holmes simply for the way he said the word Weezer. <laughs> wow, that was, that was a lot of contempt. Yeah. <laughs> There, that I did appreciate. He must have been a big Pinkerton fan mm. and felt that they uh, changed too much after that. So that's why I Hell assume yeah. that came across. Wait, were, were, they the, were they the white boys who, who covered uh, Toto's Africa? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Weezer. <laughs> any, as, any, as any good emo discussion, we'll come to that conclusion. Naturally, <laughs> just not usually by virtue of that. Right. All right, now we are on to round four. We only have two rounds left, and this is the uh, round where uh, Rob going to let you go. Are we not even going to address the Rakim thing? Address what? If we put, here's the thing. Pete Wentz could write Rakim lyrics. Rakim could not write Pete Wentz lyrics. Jesus. <laughs> okay, never mind. I regret. <laughs> I regret bringing that back. Wait, am up. I wrong? Am I wrong? Just 
I <laughs> am I wrong? Am I wrong? He asks. Um, wow. Could Rock him right beat once lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> that is not a hypothetical I wish to entertain, Charles. It's that simple. Your just, Honor, can you please tell Mr. Harvilla to yikes, answer the question? Yikes. The court demands an answer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think Rakim could write Fallout Boy lyrics. What? Be... <laughs> All right. Let's 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 keep it moving. Forget it. We, let's keep it moving. <laughs> let's keep what it the moving. Hell is, what the hell is happening? Now? All right. What so is... I, will go, I will go first and please. I will uh, stump for one of the greatest rock albums of all time from Ooh. Under the Cork Tree. And I know I've, I've had the flair. But this album means a lot to me. I think it means a lot to people. This album was made at a difficult time. Fall Out Boy had been tapped as the next big thing coming out of the scene, coming out of punk. And at that point, Unfortunately, Pete Wentz uh, had a suicide attempt. He said in an independent article, quote, it was overwhelming. I was either totally anxious or totally depressed. It's particularly overwhelming when you are on the cusp of doing something very big and thinking that it will be a big flop. I was racked with self-doubt. I bring that up to say, to understand the brilliance of From Under the Cork Tree, you have to look upon it within the scope of popular music. Nobody wanted them to make this type of record. Everybody wanted them to be the four little boys from Take This to Your Grave, somebody who's really, really entrenched in the genre but can never go above it, can never say, like, hey, like, let's push this, even if it's uncomfortable. And reading that time of Pete having to write these lyrics of Patrick, all of them working, it's such this difficult thing because they're everything in the world is trying to take them back to this world, and they're persevering. As ambitious as the Black Parade is, that album wasn't a sea change. It's the type of album that Rolling Stone can say, hey, look, look at these rock stars doing another Beatles album. Look, they're great. Fall Out Boy is like, fuck that shit. It's four kids predicting where the pop landscape was about to go. It is huge. It is bright. The anthems hit you over your head. This is an album that is undeniable. All right, I've talked about Sugar We're Going Down Swinging. I've talked about Dance Dance. But come on, an opening track like our lawyer made us change the name of this song so we wouldn't get sued? Banger. Heater. Nobody puts baby in the corner? Pause really quick. I watched Dirty Dancing recently. Mm. Greatest scene. The greatest scene. Because he's just like, Nobody puts baby in the corner. And I'm like, she's not sitting in a corner act. Like, I always thought she was sitting in a corner. She's just sitting up against the wall where I'm just like, this is like a good line, but it doesn't land because she can just like literally just stand up and walk away. Hmm. Anyway, go back to my point. This album not only has the hits that age far better than anything on the Black Parade, but they don't waste any meat on the bone. Mr. Harvilla might say, oh, these long song titles, look at these boys. Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. That is such a, such a, just a classic patriarchal way to think about what they're doing in these lyrics. Because can I ask you, Mr. Harvilla, mm -hmm. what do you have against a song title that said, I slept with someone in Fall Out Boy and all I got was a stupid song written about me? It's a terrible impression of me. 
versus El Charlo. It doesn't, what? That doesn't that doesn't sound anything like me. You just you have not captured my voice at all, and I do want that noted. For the but right. Mr. Harvilla, your, your Kanye that West song- impression is way better than your <laughs> Rob Harvilla impression. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I here's, have to say about that. All right, here's what I'm going to Sustained. finish before. I- <laughs> Before we let Mr. Arvilla talk about the Black Parade, all right? Hmm. From Under the Cork Tree is an era-defining album. You go Fall of Boy, Panic at the Disco, Paramore. If you look at the charts today, nobody sounds like MCR. Nobody. Nobody wants to sound like My Chemical Romance. But when I look at the Billboard charts of the people, of my people, of women who are taking over, well... You can find a lot of their DNA from under the cork tree. And let's just say, I tend to defend albums that were made to build towards a better future and not to just be catnip to the Rolling Stone and Pitchfork set. I see the floor. Which one of us has worked for Rolling Stone in this conversation, Charles? First of all. Well, objection. Objection, uh, Your okay, Honor. Okay, I want that okay. stricken from the record. Oh, I want that God. stricken from the record. All right. Woo. All right. Um, I'm looking at these song titles, Charles. As, as, as you requested, I am looking once again at the From the Under the Court Tree song titles. And I, again, I have no problem with Clever. I have no problem with long song titles with parentheses. I like them very much, but I just, I just cannot connect emotionally with a song called a little less 16 candles, a little more touch me. I just, that's, it just, it just feels like empty reference. Empty. (laughs) Even if it's not, (laughs) (laughs) there's just too many levels of irony for me to get to. That is all, that is all deeply moving. What you said about P Wentz. I think both of these bands, in their own ways, are talking about mental health, are speaking directly to teenagers, to young people who are dealing with mental health in a way that I think they deserve a lot of credit for. You know, in their music directly, in their interviews, in their shows, like these are bands that sort of took that head on. And I think that's wonderful. And I think that's true of the Black Parade as well. I don't see My Chemical Romance as buckling to classic rock. I see them as beating classic rock, as as proving themselves superior to classic rock. I, I, it's interesting that both of these bands have toured with Green Day, right? Like Green Day is sort of the model for both of them in that way and that they sort of started out as bratty punk rock kids, you know, playing 924 Gilman, but they grew up and like they, the, the aspiration, what they want to do in the end is write a rock opera, right? And so Green Day peaks with American Idiot, you know, and takes American Idiot to Broadway and like that was Green Day's end point, always what they were always trying to do what they were always working toward and i you know, american idiot as good a record as it is i think is working within that system within the classic rock within the rock opera system what i think is wonderful about the black parade is that it sort of it, it embodies that distinction but it destroys it at the same time it's just it is a combination of so many signifiers you know that rolling stone writers or subscribers you know think of as like the classic canon, right? The wall, Sgt. Pepper, as you said, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But I mean, they're also bringing in Rammstein, right? They're also bringing in King Crimson. They're also physically bringing in Liza Minnelli, right? There's just, there's an understanding here that they're going for it. 
in a way that they've never gone for it before, but they're going to do it in their own way. They're going to do it with the flamboyance. They're going to do it with sort of the unapologetic sincerity that they can still bring to something when they are wearing, you know, Sergeant Pepper uniforms, when they do have a giant blimp above them, when they do have these big budget videos that they're willing to look ridiculous in, but there's just, there's an emotional core to this record that you can connect with in a way that I, and again, it's, this may be my not being a teenager and everything you're saying makes sense, but I just fall out boy. It just, it, the, the emotional aspect of fallout boy just always slides right off me. It's just, it's so clever mm-hmm. and it's so dense with reference. And as you know, they are, they're poking fun at themselves and, you know, and they're dissecting scene politics. And I just, it's just, there's no, there's no people behind it. So there's just no emotional story behind it for me. And for all the pomp and circumstance of the black parade, like I, it still boils down to you and Gerard in a room together and he's singing to you and it's so intense and it's so passionate and it is so ridiculous and he looks so ridiculous and the backdrop is so ridiculous, but there's just a direct one-on-one connection in that moment that I think is rock and roll, classic rock and roll, whatever at its best, where you are an arena full of people, but you are still looking up at the singer and the singer is looking back at you and there is a mind meld happening there. It's communal, but it's also one-on-one. And I think the Black Parade just captures that mixture of intimacy, but also just the most colossal, ridiculous spectacle you can imagine. Yeah, you won that, Rob. This is, this is just, <laughs> I, I knew this was going to be the one where I'm like, it's fine. Like It's just like, I'm going to give it to Rob. Like, is, the Black this, Parade is a really is good drummers. album. This is the drummers thing. The Black me. Parade is just like a really good album where I was just like, come on. Like... <laughs> What's the temperature, Fallout Boy wise, on American Beauty, American Psycho? That's my favorite record of theirs. Is that That's the, your favorite record? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I don't off know what. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest; those are the ones. It's a like, lot. I yeah. could do the first four albums. That's the one where I'm like, man, I'm okay. Okay, okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's a coming to this band late favorite album for sure. I I I that that makes sense to me. Okay. okay. Well, well, since the court doesn't have to issue a ruling <laughs> on that. <laughs> Because the court was already <laughs> leaning in that direction anyway. Um, the, how do we fight? All right, Your Honor, how do you fight against the Black Parade? Like, really? Like, here's the thing. Tough. Fall Out Boy are like, if we were doing like a song versus song, I think they mm. would kill My Chemical Romance because they just have way more hits. Mm. But like the Black Parade is actually just a really good album. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Understood. Mr. Holmes, you were at a, you were at a disadvantage. Um, I just want to point out one thing I learned last week, last night. Do you know how many total words there are cumulatively in the 13 songs on that Follow Boy album? Wow. The song titles, guys. Oh, the song uh, titles. (laughs) Ooh, I'm going to go 30. Uh, 50, 60. 127. (laughs) (laughs) I should win regardless. That stat is amazing. All that right. is almost 10 words per title. That is that just is... under 10, to wor- 10 words per title. Yeah, genius. that's like, that's genius. Guys, we're, we're, we were witnessing genius, okay? Can we get to the impact influence? You could go, Rob, since you Please. are on a hot streak already. Oh, my God. I'm interested in this idea. You know, you brought up like Juice World, like Olivia Rodrigo. I'm interested in pop punk now as like a prestige signifier today. 
right? Like Machine Gun Kelly, you know, Travis Barker is like the Pope of American rock now. I'm interested in this moment where, yeah, we're having, where like pop punk has been thoroughly subsumed, you know, by hip hop, but also by just plain pop. I, and I'm trying, I am genuinely trying to decide who is more responsible for that between Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance. I take your point very much that the Twilight thing is, is, is patriarchal. The anti-Twilight approach that My Chemical Romance took on, on Vampire Money. That song is very funny, but it's, I, I take your point there that it is not as inclusive as they ordinarily are. But I, in terms of the impact that My Chemical Romance and that the Black Parade in particular has had, like I think about The weekend. Right, like the weekend's album rollout strategy and the idea of him embodying a character and like the videos are all, you know, in in line with each other. Like just he he's he he has his own lore, his own backstory, you know, his own world that he builds around each new album. And you get tired of it by the end of it, you know, and maybe you're not into the record at all. But I I think that is more my chemical romance's legacy than even the pop punk thing at this point i i just it's i am going to be the 40 year old guy arguing for the primacy of like the album the full-length album as an artistic statement but i do think that the black parade is very important going forward and getting bands and also rappers and also r&b singers to think about individual albums and an entire world that you build around them as important as vital and as worth doing i just i agree completely with justin that as a, as, as a singles band fallout boy wins easily in terms of hits in terms of commercial impacts but in terms of just song for song like if we're doing verses here i think mike Hamill remitz is at a huge disadvantage because it's you do take them you do ideally take my chemical romance albums as albums i think danger days is a wonderful album i think the last three songs on danger days are are as good as any three song run on any previous My Chem album or Fallout Boy album. I think I do think that there is something to be said for the overall construction of a My Chemical Romance record. And I also again, I do, you know, the Black Parade is 2006, 2008 is the Dark Knight and Iron Man, you know, the MCU. Again, the rise of, as you know yeah. better than me, of course, of like superheroes as like the coin of the realm now. The and IP I do, factory. This is why like, if we're going to be real, right. even them like poking at Twilight, I was being funny, but like, yeah, they yeah. definitely are ahead of the, the curve of like, no, this mm-hmm. is actually going to be a net negative. This is going to be bad. They were just a little too <laughs> early on that take, you know? Right. You know, and I got, I watched like two episodes, of the umbrella Academy, like I couldn't hang with it, but I, I, I do think that I just think about Gerard, you know, in 2001, you know, reacting to nine 11, you know, as, as a cartoonist, as a comic book enthusiast and just sort of turning himself into like a cartoon character on one hand, but it, to become the most emotional version of himself. Like he has a very human reaction, but what he does with that is he turns himself into a rock star, into a supervillain, you know, into Spawn, like what whatever your reference point. Like there's just the combination of the artifice of My Chemical Romance and the humanity of My Chemical Romance has always been really intriguing to me. And so I, I again, I... I 
I'm curious what you think as to whether, like, say, Olivia Rodrigo, is she reacting more to the Fallout Boy version of pop punk versus the My Chemical Romance version of pop punk? I think Fallout Boy is more influential in terms of this new wave of pop punk as a prestige thing. But I think that My Chemical Romance, like, as a band, as a conceptual band, I, I think that that's their legacy is that they've made the world safe for like the, these universes that you create and you live in and you create an album out of. So I think the argument that I want to make in terms of impact influence of Fall Out Boy is that all jokes aside, I, I don't think you can take away the fact that Fall Out Boy just never gave up even during like the fallow periods of rock bands just not releasing, releasing music that is meant to compete. Where it's like, it always felt like, for better or worse, Fallout Boy is like, I'm going to compete with everyone. They're, name me another rock artist that's like, we're going to put Burna Boy on a project. Not in like 2022. This was on Mania. They are putting, like, they are literally saying like, hey, even back in the day during Future's mixtape run, Pete Wentz is like, in interviews, they're like, what music do you like? And I'm like, yo, I'm listening to Future. I'm mm-hmm. working with 2 Chains. This is a a band that I think was always like, hey, we might be in our 40s, but we're still going to do it. And yeah, is it kind of like dad rockish? Maybe. But I always appreciated the fact that Fall Out Boy came from this scene that almost ate them alive. And now they're the rare rock stars from that, from that period who are like, we could give up. We made all our money. But they're like, no, we still love this. We still want to do this. And so when I think you talk about the impact and influence, whether that's Olivia Rodrigo or Uzi or Juice World or just all the SoundCloud generation, Young Thugs, I do think that you have to give them so much credit because at no point where they're just like, this has gotten too embarrassing, even when it, it, they know themselves like this is a little embarrassing. Like, we're still proud of this. We're still proud of the music we're making. We're still proud to be rock stars touring arenas. And that's why I think someone like, like bands like a Green Day or a Weezer will be like, hey, we want to put our arms around you because that's part of aging in music is being like, hey, we want, even if I'm about to be 30, I would go to a Fall Out Boy concert and I'm just like, I still want to hear this shit. I don't care what other people think. And I think there's going to be people who are listening to the SoundCloud pop punk generation being like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I want to hear this. I want to hear Lil Peep. I want to hear these songs. And I think that that's why I've argued for them so passionately. Even if you look at the Billboard charts, Fall Out Boy has had 20 songs in the Billboard Hot 100 and four top 10 hits. Well, My Chemical Romance has had one top 10 hit (laughs) and only nine in the top 10. And that's not like a quality signifier. That's saying that like My Chemical Romance did something very, very well for a very short time and then dipped. Mm -hmm. Whereas Fall Out Boy is like, hey, actually, what if we just keep trying? Even if like the returns are diminishing, let's just be the band that like we want to be. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And as much as people still turn their nose up at Fall Out Boy, I love them for that because like without a band like Fall Out Boy as a teenager, I wouldn't have gotten into like music that's maybe a little bit more difficult. So I think we should celebrate music that is like, hey, it's accessible. And it's like, hey, we want to welcome you to the party. And I think that's just beautiful. Now it's tied to two at the moment. So whatever the court rules here, actually... There's a lot riding on this. There's a lot lot riding riding on this. You have both made very persuasive arguments here today. And I just want to recap quickly. Band members, Mr. Holmes. (laughs) 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 Lyrics, 
if only because Mr. Holmes shot himself in the foot. Ugh, Mr. Oh. Harvilla. Yeah. Songs, obviously, <laughs> Mr. Holmes. Obviously, right? Mm. Albums, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously, Mr. Harvilla. Obviously. <laughs> Influence. Taking the totality of this debate, including opening statements and everything that was just said in the influence section, into consideration. The court rules that it's better to burn out than to fade away. And we are going with My Chemical Romance. Mr. Harvilla, 3-2, My Chemical Romance, the victor. That's very kind. Well fought, Charles, honestly. Yeah, I just... You gave it your all. You sang. You brought up Rakim. I was I was humbled to be in your presence. You know, I just want I, to say to the boys from I Chicago, am Adele on stage at the Grammys. You know, and you are Beyonce. I just uh, wanted to let them know, know guys. I fought. I am Macklemore. And okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I fought for y'all. Okay, I was outnumbered. <laughs> Fallout Boy. I put like I did it. I did the thing. Pete Wentz. You're my boy forever. You're my black brother in Christ. Like, I'm so sorry, bro. Like, I did it all for you. I left it all out on the court. Woo. <laughs> even the dick pics. You even rode for the dick pics. And I respect hey, that enormously. Great, great time in rock and roll. Great time. Absolutely. Rock and I'd roll. forgotten it. Now I have to remember. And that's, you know, that's a victory for you in and of itself. That I'm so guys, be thinking about that all day. Yeah. This has been... Our first Battle of the Bands, a special crossover episode with the Ringer Music Show and Ringer Dish. Thank you so much to my esteemed colleague, Mr. Harvilla. You know, he's been around the block more than me. You know what I'm saying? I was a little disadvantaged, but that's okay because you learn from your elders. You learn from the people who paved the way. And he paved the way for me. I don't want to be your link with history, Charles, but thank you. That's very kind. Special shout out to our judge uh, who uh, was paid off by Mr. Harvilla. did. The Venmo. Your Honor, Justin Sales. And cleared. thank you so much to our producer, Kai McMullen, who is going to leave now with so much knowledge <laughs> of the greatest rock bands of all time. And last but certainly not least, thank y'all for listening to us. Make sure you yell at us in the comments. We will see y'all next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.